Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard, everybody. I am the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. Here again to break down a crazy week of games, preview week 11. We have a special guest, Gary Myers, my mentor and longtime New York Daily News NFL columnist, is going to join us to talk. Tom Brady, the New York Giants, his upcoming book, The Jets, and more. Stay tuned for our next segment. You won't want to miss it. Go behind the scenes a little bit of how Gary and I and our process works, frankly, discussing the NFL on a regular basis. And even back in the day when we were coming up with columns and coverage and bouncing ideas off of each other, uh, he has a lot of institutional knowledge. Uh, He has forgotten more football than I know, and you will get a lot from that conversation, I promise you. Wanted to start with a hot take. I wanted to start with a take that I've, I've stewed on ever since I saw the Buffalo Bills choke that game away against the Minnesota Vikings. And I'm probably going to eat these words come February, but I think I'm going to say at this moment that the Buffalo Bills are not going to win the Super Bowl this year. I know that they are one of the most talented teams. I know Josh Allen is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. I know when you watch a game like this, even when their backs are against the wall, the ease with which they can move the ball up the field, they're so explosive. You know I love their team. You know, Gabe Davis, Stefan Diggs, I love the Naeem Hines ad. And believe me, the Buffalo Bills probably will play deep into this year and into the postseason. But the UCL injury to Josh Allen, he played through it, but will that hold up? Will his arm hold up? Will he be okay? Because obviously if he's not 100% even and he's not playing well enough right now, he's made uncharacteristic bad decisions on some of these uh, key turnovers, even going back to the Jets game as well. But also my bigger picture concern with the Buffalo Bills, all I could think of looking at them cough away this game to the Vikings was 13 seconds, 13 seconds remaining against the Kansas City Chiefs. When Patrick Mahomes, it takes him all of two plays to go right down the field for that Harrison Bucker field goal in the playoffs last year. And now I'm watching some of the decision making by the Bills coaching staff going forward on fourth down rather than kicking that field goal in the second half that would have put you up 10 points. I don't understand why Sean McDermott's team is not closing these games. I don't understand why the decisions are being made that are that's putting the Bills behind the eight ball and not putting them in a more favorable position. McDermott's a really good coach. They've built a great program there. Something's missing though. Something's missing about their inability to to close things out here. You know, I just I just don't understand why it is so difficult for the Bills in these key moments to pull it out. Now, they often are so good that they just run teams off the field, right? I mean, the Bills are such a talented team, such a talented roster, and they add Von Miller to the mix. And you look at that and you say, and you've seen evidence this season of a team that, you know, one and done, 
you have to beat them to advance and it just becomes too much to play them over the course of four quarters. I mean, I can understand that for sure, but the AFC East right now is way better than what we expected it to be. And the Bills schedule down the stretch, they have the Miami Dolphins, they have the New York Jets. And these are games that you and I think we looked at the beginning of the year and we said, if we look at these games, we say win for the Bills. But after that loss to the Jets and given how Miami is scoring so effortlessly, I think you have to view any AFC East game as a difficult matchup. The division already tends to be a toss-up in the NFL, especially down the stretch. And that's why there's so much drama and the NFL has backloaded these schedules with all of these division games for all of these teams. But you look at them playing the Jets, the Dolphins, they have the Bengals remaining, and they have to play the New England Patriots twice. And I'm not sitting here predicting that the Patriots are going to beat the Bills twice, but I am saying that because of Buffalo's inability to close out these games against good teams now in key games and back-to-back years here, and because of the fact that they've had injuries, including to extremely key pieces, now Allen being one of them, and he's the X factor, it just concerns me. And I know I pushed back at the beginning of the season on the suggestion that the chalk, the Bills, would win the Super Bowl. And my pick was a lot worse than what the Bills look like right now. You know, I picked the Packers to beat the Raiders. So take it from me. (laughs) Things have not gone well on that front. So I could have had it go in my face again when Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills are hoisting that trophy. But I'm here to tell you that something is definitely missing from the Buffalo Bills situation here, especially when it comes to closing out games. And I misspoke earlier, that field goal that they would have kicked, I was just looking it up because I thought that I I got that wrong. That field goal they would have kicked in the second half, they were up 10 already. A field goal would have put the Bills up 13 points. And I understand uh, the logic and the analytics and the thought process behind it's fourth and seven from the Minnesota seven-yard line. And so Sean McDermott is going for the jugular there, right? Because they're up 27 to 17. They're up 10 points. And if you score a touchdown, you go up 17 and effectively end the game. Um, But kicking a field goal and not taking the points, it ends up in a Josh Allen interception. So he throws an interception intended for Dawson Knox. Patrick Peterson intercepts it. And then the Minnesota Vikings go down, score as a touchdown drive, and now it's 27 to 23 in the fourth quarter instead of um, instead of the Bills having a more substantial lead. And throughout the day, really having a lot of control of that game outside of Dalvin Cook changing it with that big touchdown run. But Kirk Cousins as a passer, Justin Jefferson was incredible, of course, but even Cousins was making some of those same throws and mistakes that make everybody shake their head and say, this guy's not the answer. But what do you know? Minnesota's eight and one. Credit to Kevin O'Connell and that staff. And here I am sitting here concerned about the Buffalo Bills and frankly believing that until they show me that they have poise and sound decision-making in these key instances, it's hard for me to rubber stamp what so many people were stamping in the beginning of the season. 
Stop for a quick ad here. Bet online, ba- basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events. Whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf, head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And from there, I jump to the AFC team that I think has to be considered the favorite right now, and that conference is the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, some injuries. It's not perfect. But the addition of Kadarius Toney and Patrick Mahomes' play and Steve Spagnolo's coaching on defense, frankly, just make it impossible for me to feel more confident in the Buffalo Bills in the AFC down the road than the Kansas City Chiefs. And I bring up the Chiefs not only to say that I consider them the AFC favorite. That's, no, that's nothing crazy. They are the one seed at the moment. I bring them up, though, because the MVP conversation is starting to ratchet up. And Tua Tagovailoa, the Dolphins quarterback, deserves consideration. No question about it. His name belongs in the conversation. Jalen Hurts, I think, is still deserving of being in the conversation. Um, I've heard people mention Tyreek Hill's name. He's been excellent. But Patrick Mahomes is the MVP of the NFL right now. Let's not get crazy and act like Anybody is at the level this guy's playing at. He lost Tyreek Hill, who is pretty widely considered the consensus best receiver in the NFL, or at the very least, one of the most game-changing elements from a skill position standpoint in the league, in the sense that defenses have to game plan specifically for him, and frankly, don't often have an answer for the way that he moves, for how he's able to stretch defenses and what he opens up for offenses that he's on. Mahomes loses that player, and at the moment leads the NFL in passing yards with 2,936. He's got 25 touchdown passes. He has thrown seven interceptions. I believe two only has three. Um, Seven interceptions, obviously not what you want, but this guy's averaging 326 passing yards per game. And just look at his this win against the Jaguars as exhibit a 331 yards passing four touchdown passes and a late interception when uh frankly i'm not even sure why he was throwing the pass he was throwing um i think the chiefs really could have tried to you know put the jags away a, a different a, a different way but this game was close a couple times early on to just being a complete runaway blowout um and it's amazing that you're plugging and playing different skill position players and what mahomes is doing with his team. He's not doing it alone, but just listen to the way he spread the ball around in this game. Uh, Travis Kelsey, six catches, 81 yards. Uh, Valdez Scantling, three catches, 60 yards. Kadarius Toney, four catches, 57 yards. Jarek McKinnon, six catches, 56 yards. This is a guy putting together one of the best passing weeks in the league, if not the best in the league in that week, with nobody being the star runaway dominant player. It's just everybody getting the ball, distribution across the board, and Mahomes just ho-hum playing his game. 
This is the best quarterback and player in the league right now. He is the MVP. Last thing before we get to Gary Myers, Kadarius Toney might end up having a a breakout game against the Chargers on Sunday. He already scored his first touchdown for the Chiefs last week against Jacksonville. And there's a lot of comments coming out of Kansas City from, I saw Travis Kelsey. I love his podcast with his brother, Jason, by the way. But, you know, you can, and you can hear it on social media too, this idea of how did the Giants even let him get out of the building? And, and now we see that the Chiefs are talking about making him their full-time punt returner, which is something we were always waiting to happen in New York and never did. And, you know, I would just say that from a national standpoint, I can understand why people not close to the Giants situation every day could ask the question, how the heck did the Giants let this guy go? I would say that's only valid in the sense that you have to acknowledge that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, when they drafted him, that the talent they saw and the production and the ability and the capability of Tony to be a game changer and a game wrecker, you have to give them credit for that because obviously there was a lot of talk while Tony was with the Giants that it was just a a bad pick. They they didn't pick a good player. They didn't pick a guy who could contribute. Uh, No, this guy's pretty good. But I will say this, stop it with the idea that the Giants screwed up by trading him away. This was a player, I said this at the time, and I'm going to say it again. It wasn't working here. It wasn't going to work. Tony was not putting in the work and doing the things he needed to do as a Giant. He was not earning his playing time. He was not demonstrating the practice habits that were required. And frankly, I've had conversations with people at the Giants about how one of the things Dable does so well as a coach is he has been rewarding good habits and hard work and not rewarding guys who aren't putting in the effort. And Tony not playing a lot when he was healthy and then being out of the lineup with a mysterious hamstring injury he said didn't exist and then being traded out of the building after the GM and head coach already had looked to trade him in the spring. This is all connected to the fact that the player and the team were not working out. So when the Chiefs say, how did he let him get out? How did they let him get out of the building? How did how could Joe Shane and the Giants trade Kadarius Tony? Listen, the Giants will tell you, I'm the first person to criticize them when I think that they erred on something, that uh, they made a mistake, that they chose the wrong door on a certain scenario. I have no problem criticizing the Giants. In this case, they came in and did their homework on what Tony was as a rookie, which was a guy who was hurt often. And he was a player who um, there were concerns that maybe some of the injuries that were keeping him out wouldn't have kept other other players out. And there were concerns about learning the playbook and et cetera, et cetera. I am pleased and happy for Kadarius Tony that he is starting to flourish in Kansas City and that he has found a home that has welcomed him and where he's contributing. And good for him. I hope he keeps playing well. I hope he does well out there. But this is not a scenario, which we told you at the time of the trade, that it was going to suddenly work here in New York. When Brian Dable and the Giants said that Kadarius Toney wasn't making the trip to London, that confirmed, it was the final confirmation for me that this was never going anywhere. It was where I told you it was going in the spring. It wasn't going anywhere with the Giants. And I think at that point, it was about, the player and the team just riding it out until they could make a deal. 
That's what happened. It gets done in Kansas City. The Chiefs get an explosive player who I think, like I said, might end up having a career day against the Chargers on Sunday. And the Giants get draft capital and get out from under a player who, while talented and while the previous regime did see the talent of a player who could contribute to an explosive offense, it wasn't going to happen here in New York. And that's that. We'll be right back here on Talking Ball with Gary Myers. All right. Welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We are here with a very, very special guest, Gary Myers, my mentor, a future Hall of Famer, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame voter, 29 years at the Daily News, not that you don't know, um, eight years covering the Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News, 25 years talking NFL on big time TV, author of five books, including the New York Times bestseller, Over My Right Shoulder. And Gary, my understanding is you have another book on the way. That's correct? Yeah, right around the the 1st of September for in, in time for the 2023 season. And I have to read this because it's such a long title. The, <laughs> the actual title is Once a Giant, but the subtitle is A Story of Victory, Tragedy, and Life After Football. And Pat, it's about the 86 Giants and, you know, 35, 36 years later, how they've dealt with life after football, which, as you know, and you've written about a lot, is the single biggest issue facing players of yesterday, today, and players of tomorrow also. Um, What is their life going to be like when they're in their 50s and 60s? Wow, we are really looking forward to that. One question about that is, is that a hard topic to get guys to open up about or um, are former NFL players eager to talk about, you know, their life after football and their experiences in that regard? Well, I I found that and I I talked to, you know, a lot of players from this team. And one of the great things is, you know, I had previous relationships with them, so they were comfortable with me and they trusted me. And, And Pat, I'm telling you, this is by far and away my best book. It has such compelling stories. Guys were incredibly forthcoming about what their lives have been like. And, and I tell people it's both a heartwarming, has heartwarming stories and heartbreaking stories. Um, I, I don't get into a play-by-play whatever whatsoever of the 86 season. I do sprinkle in details from that season where it's relevant to the story that I'm telling about, say, Bobby Johnson and his, uh, his big catch against Minnesota late in the season. But mm-hmm. it's just kind of, you know, a way of telling his story. But it's not chronological in terms of what happened that season um, because that's been written before. I mean, that, that, those books came out in 1987 after the championship. This is really some behind-the-scenes stuff that happened uh, in 1986, which made this team such an incredibly tight brotherhood. And that's the other part of the book that uh, people will really learn about, that this team, probably more than any other I've been around, has remained really close. Uh, Championships always form bonds. But I think with this team, because a lot of the players stayed in the area here, um, they they really check up on each other. Harry Carson considers himself the captain for life. Anybody has a problem, they get in touch with Harry. He rounds up the troops, and they all come – and support their former teammates. It's it's really an amazing story. That's special. We look forward to that book about 
some of the stars and star giants of yesterday. But Gary, we miss your regular commentary on the NFL and the players of today. And so I'm extremely eager to talk to you about what's going on in the NFL now in 2022, because not only is football alive and well in New York, but also we still have some of our favorite quarterbacks continuing to play. And I wanted to start there before we get into the Giants and the Jets, which of course are juicy topics. I have a simple question for you. Is Tom Brady going to play until he's 50 years old? Because I know you covered Tom, you know Tom, you wrote books on Tom, and you look at how this guy's playing. I mean, he's second in the NFL in passing yards right now. He played MVP caliber football last year. And now given everything that's going on right now, Gary, is he going... Is he ever going to retire? You know, Pat, I thought that uh, until the last couple of weeks that this this was it for him because he did, he just didn't look the same to me. It's the first time I thought I saw some age on him. But I think you can attribute that just as much to the fact that their offensive line is a mess. They're missing three starters from last year. The receivers have been in and out, you know, with injuries. And so it wasn't the same – you know, cohesive unit that he had played with for two years. So seeing how they played the last couple of weeks and they're getting back some healthy players, I mean, their offensive line is still not what he's used to. But um, I think he's still got more in him. Whether he'll go to 50, I don't know. Um, the fact – and I don't like really talking about players' personal lives all that much. Hmm. But, but the fact that, you know, he was recently divorced, um, I think it might – this might be his outlet now just to continue playing because it's what he loves to do. And whether that was a factor or not in him deciding, you know, to continue his career and, you know, his wife Giselle, you know, being unhappy with him. I don't, I don't know. I mean, who knows what happens in personal people's personal lives. All I'm saying is because he's no longer married, uh, he's got that huge contract, you know, awaiting him from Fox, but I think he still loves to play. He's still incredibly competitive. And now that we've reached a point in the season where, you know, they're, they're in a crummy division this year, so they can win it with 10 wins. Um, right. And then who knows what happens in the playoffs. I can see him now continuing to play, whether it's to 50 or not. I mean, it's another five years, but I, I can definitely see him playing next season. The way he hugged Byron Lefwich yeah. on the sideline yeah. after they scored and beat the Rams there. Like you said, it's what he loves to do, and we know that. But when you see his joy there after such a miserable start to the year and everything that's going on in his life, I watch that moment and I think, this guy's never going to hang it up, right? That's that's my thinking when I see that. Um, Interestingly enough, if the season ended today, the New York Giants would go on the road to face Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I have to talk to you about about the G-Men because – you well, know, you know, seven before, you say, before you say anything, sure, yeah. Giants uh, fans will remember, and I'm not <laughs> saying history will repeat itself, but in 2007, the Giants started the playoffs by winning a wild card game in Tampa. And you just presented the scenario that it could start in Tampa for them. So, who knows? See, this is this is why we bring you on, Gary, because I always tell people this. I always tell tell Gary this. Not many people who cover the league, even if they know the X's and O's, even if they know people in the league and have sources, do not also have the institutional knowledge and total recall of the history of the game and the history of these storied New York franchises that Gary has. 
It's why you're second to none. Love it. And I think Giants fans will love hearing that nugget. Of course, so- Pat. The difference is that they faced Jeff Garcia in that game, and now they're facing <laughs> Brady. So there's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> <laughs> nice asterisk. So <laughs> I, I want to leave it to you to talk about the where you want to go with the Giants here because there's so much to unpack about what's happened, why they're winning. I would ask you this. What has stood out to you or impressed you the most about their seven and two start under Brian Dable this year? Well, I think first of all, uh, I would start with the coach. Now I'm not around there every day like I used to be, um, but just you know, reading you all the time and and hearing player interviews, it's it's clear that the that the attitude and the culture is such an overused word, but it, it just seems like the mood has been lightened there after mm-hmm. the two years of Joe Judge, and the players really enjoy playing for him. And I thought what he did against Tennessee in the first game, going for two. Now we know that Tennessee then missed a field goal that could have won the game. But just going for two and showing that confidence in the team, like, I believe in you, and I know you're going to have my back by backing me up here and getting a two-point conversion. Whatever part of the locker room he hadn't won over to that point, I think was completed by showing that faith and then – winning the game. Um, So that's the first thing I I draw out of. The second is the return of Saquon Barkley. He looks as good, if not better, than he did as a rookie. And we forgot how good this guy is when he is completely healthy because he went through three straight injury seasons where he just didn't look anything like the player he was as a rookie in 2018. I think Daniel Jones is playing the best he has just in terms of cutting down the turnovers and making good decisions. And without even talking about the defense, the last point I'll make is it's amazing that they've gotten this far with almost other than like say Darius Slayton's play last week, they've done this without any wide receivers. And in in a league that's dominated by quarterbacks and wide receivers and 300 yard passing games, it's really amazing to me that they've been so successful to this point with such minimal contributions in the passing game. Do you think Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback? Would you would you try to lock him up long term after this season? Yeah. Well, first of all, like where are you going to go if you don't sign him? Um, that's the first question. And I know I've said to you for years that just in uh, in flashes or glimpses, I saw all aspects from of elite quarterback play from Daniel Jones, just not consistently and probably not at the same time because I think he's a smart guy. I think he's got a real good arm. He obviously is really athletic. He runs the ball really well. And whereas recently they haven't been using him as a threat in the past, in the running game, he's certainly capable of that. So I saw all those elements, but like never in the same game or never for a consistent stretch other than maybe his first two games when he started. That's fair. He's a rookie. And it was just a question of, you know, could somebody draw that out of them? And would they put enough pieces around them to make it work? Well, like I just said before, I think he's making it work without all the pieces around him. The offensive line is definitely better than it has been. Uh, Barkley is playing out of his mind. But is there a wide receiver uh, on this team that a defensive coordinator says, well, we got a game plan against this guy? There isn't. Right. And the shame to me here really is – uh, the little I saw at Kadarius Tony, I thought he had Tyreek Hill 
type skills. It's just a shame, whatever was going on behind the scenes there, that they couldn't get him on the field. Whether he didn't want to get on the field or it was injuries or or exactly what it was, you know, again, behind the scenes stuff, was he not, you know, doing what they asked him to do? But you've seen the first couple of games in Kansas City, what he is capable of doing. And it's amazing to me that all of a sudden he gets traded to Kansas City and he's healthy. You know, what's know. up with him? Very unusual. Uh, you know, the NFL won't even respond to me right now on – the fact that it appears the Giants listed him at least for the last three weeks with an injury that Tony is saying didn't exist. Uh, that it's a huge loss. You're walking me right into the question that I wanted to ask you anyway. Should they sign Odell? Absolutely. And there was probably nobody who was a bigger critic of him than me. I mean, he didn't talk to me the last half of the season of uh, his final year here. What was that? 2018 was his final year? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd ask him questions in the locker room, and he—you probably saw it. He would turn and face the other way, and uh, and I thought, um, I, I didn't think it was wrong when they traded him. I thought he was becoming a real problem in the locker room. That um, interview he did with Josina Anderson, I thought, was really damaging, and showed he wasn't really all in uh, on this team. And they got a decent return for him. You know, when you look at some of the other trades that have been made recently for wide receivers, the Giants did okay with that. But now three years have have passed. I think he's matured. Um, He's got a baby. Uh, He's got a a girlfriend. Uh, I've read where he said, you know, his next movie wants to settle down, buy a house, and put down some roots. I don't know how many players are still left from 2018. I know he's still tight with Barkley and then – Sterling Shepard, you know, whether Shepard is back next year, you would know better than me. Um, yeah. but maybe in I, a non-playing, maybe in a non-playing capacity, who knows? Possibly. Um, yeah. I, I think it's going to come down to the Giants and the Cowboys. And when he's ready to sign, I think it will, one of the big determining factors are, will be what position are they each in as far as making a playoff run? Um, that's how he kind of chose the Rams last year. Yeah. But, but I also think it's more of a long-term decision for him now. He's going to want a multi-year contract, which the Giants will have to give him because, again, you would know this better than me with, because I don't follow it as closely as you do now. But, you know, how they'd have to structure that contract. I know they don't have a lot of cap room for this season, so they probably have to structure it that he gets it's back-loaded. Exactly. Um, but he – a healthy Odell Beckham, this is the bottom line to it, Pat. A healthy Odell Beckham is exactly what the Giants need right now. Yeah, from a uh, from a morale standpoint, too, I mean, the football is what matters, right? The fact that he would be healthy and give Daniel Jones an actual weapon. And you and I and others, kind of since Jones got here, because of the timing of it all, we're always wondering a little bit what it would look like if he threw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. You know, if he ever had an Odell Beckham type receiver. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm glad you brought up the multi-year deal because I, I wanted to ask you that too. When that, when I first heard that, I think Mike Garofolo reported that, that he was looking for a multi-year deal. My first reaction was, well, who would give him that? Uh, that sounds like a negotiation tactic and a good one, but it sounds like, you know, there wouldn't be that market. But the closer I get to him making a decision, the more I wonder, if that actually is going to be what's required. I mean, on the one hand, he, with the injury last year in the Super Bowl, he showed that giving him that two-year deal, let's say, would be dangerous. 
But on the other hand, scoring the first touchdown in the Super Bowl and helping the Rams win it makes you say to yourself, well, maybe it's worth it. I mean, do you do you do you think do you agree with me that it's still kind of a negotiating ploy and it would be hard for anybody to fork over that? Or you think actually the winner of the sweepstakes will have to give a player like him a multi-year deal? Yeah, well, that could be the determining factor on where he signs is who's willing to commit to him past this year. Because, Pat, wherever he does wind up playing, will be his, unless he goes back to the Rams or the Browns, which isn't going to happen, it would be his third <laughs> team in three years, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I just think, you know, he's 30 years old and he wants to settle down and try to create a legacy with whatever team he signs with. Well, he already has the start of a legacy with the Giants, so this would just be building on it. And what a great story it would be if he comes back here and can pick up where he left off again, same knee, two ACLs, the giant doctors would have to do a thorough examination of him just like any team would and determine whether he's any more susceptible to tearing it a third time as any player would be to tearing it the first time. And I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I, I know he's been rehabbing and all the stories you read are that he'll be ready to play sometime in December, which is, you know, just a couple of weeks away. But uh, I, again, I think the structure of the contract, the length of the contract, if just for argument's sake, the Cowboys are only willing to give him a deal for the rest of the season. And they'll say, let's revisit it after the year to see how you've done, whether you like it here, what your health is versus the Giants. You might say, well, we're going to sign you for two more years after this and we're going to take our chances. That could easily be the determining factor. I think Odell should lean into this completely for this Thanksgiving game. I think he should attend the Giants-Cowboys game on Thanksgiving Day. I think the NFL should let him do a ceremonial coin toss. He should, <laughs> I like he, it. He should announce that the winner of the game gets him. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. The, more, the closer we get to it, I'm thinking, well – on the one hand, maybe the teams are both going to wait to see how that game goes before making the decision. On the other hand, Odell should just dictate the terms here, man. Maximize the spotlight. So I hope he takes my advice. Uh, would be thrilling, as you said, and it, it really exciting if he came back. That sounds to- like a great column. Yeah, I'm going to write that. I'm going to write that. We just had it right this, here. Think about this also. The Giants are a game up on the Cowboys now, right? So they, the, yes, correct. Seven and two, so six the, and three. The yeah. Giants beat the Lions like we would expect them to do on Sunday, mm. and the Cowboys lose in Minnesota. Then the Giants go into that game with a two-game lead on Dallas. You yep. know, really become solid contenders for at least the wild card. I mean, they're only a game behind the Eagle in the loss column, right? Or maybe just a game behind. Yeah, um, game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Giants can win the division. What I saw from the Eagles Monday night. Um, was a team that is vulnerable when they're playing t- teams that are committed to the run game as the Giants are right now. I mean, I don't know what the final time of possession was, but it was severely slanted towards Washington. Yes, they that that did look like a game where Washington came out with a specific way of how to attack the Eagles, yeah. and the Eagles never adjusted to it well enough. Yeah, and the Eagles have a good secondary, so they probably knew they weren't going to beat them throwing the ball down the field. Um, so – Carrying this out, Giants win Sunday, Cowboys lose. That's a two-game lead for the Giants going into Thanksgiving. If the Giants beat the Cowboys, then they have a three-game lead on them. And if Odell is looking 
if he's short-sighted and long-sighted at the same time, thinking short-term and long-term, I want to go someplace where I can do some damage in the playoffs, but I also want to be go to a place that I want to stay. And the Giants with a three-game lead on Dallas by 7 o'clock Thanksgiving night, I would think the Giants would be much more attractive to Odell than the Cowboys would. But there's still two games to go before we can say something like that. So, And you know how much things change on a week-to-week basis. Well, uh, the listeners and the viewers just got an inside look at how we hatch column ideas, right? I drop drop my ideas. You come over top with great context and pushing it forward. And then when people pick up the daily news on Friday, they're going to say, I heard this somewhere before. Wait, (laughs) it was on the podcast. No, yeah. Behind the scenes there. That's great. So little Giants question that also kind of connects to our next topic. Who is your coach of the year right now? I'm going to give you some names. Maybe you could rank them one through five if you want at this point. We have Brian Dable from the Giants, uh, Kevin O'Connell from the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Mike McDaniel from the Miami Dolphins, Nick Sirianni from the Philadelphia Eagles, and Robert Sala of the New York Jets. How would you, how would you kind of uh, you know uh, handicap that? You know, my answer to that would be if any of them won it. Based on what we've seen so far, I wouldn't have any argument with it because you can almost throw, you know, a blanket over them or whatever the expression is and say they're all deserving. Um, Mm. Now, I I don't want to sound too parochial here, but knowing what the Giants and Jets have been like the last five years, where going into the season, they tied for the worst record in the NFL over the last five years and, and knowing how bad it's been here. Um, I would probably put – I think Dable is doing more with less than any of the coaches you mentioned. I agree with that. There's some great talent in Minnesota. Although I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins. I've never been sold on Kirk Cousins. Um, Me neither. Mike McDaniel's done a great job in Minnesota – I mean in in Miami. But they have terrific skill position players, and he's an offensive coach. He's done a great job with Tua, and we were going. We went into the season thinking, was Tua a bust? How can they take him over Justin Herbert? And now you look at it and you say, well, that's pretty even between those two guys. Uh, yeah. Kevin O'Connell, you know, the, the Vikings have always been an underachieving team, so um, I think he's done a great job. Was there one one other guy that you mentioned? I, I can't remember. Um, uh, Sirianni from the Eagles. Uh, Sirianni. I don't know. They, they they won a Super Bowl a few years ago. That you know they've been a perennial playoff contender except when they tanked against uh, Washington a couple of years ago, which cost the Giants a playoff spot. Um, I would probably have him a little bit further down. I, I would, I, again, I would say Dable, and I'm not trying to say it just because, you know, I live here and yeah. I, I follow the Giants. It's, I just think he's done more with less and just took over just a god-awful situation. Um, no kidding. Where, you know, three coaches over the last five years uh, – Culture change was necessary. An infusion of talent was necessary. Of course, everybody's coming from Buffalo that he signs, but uh, which is a terrible idea. Yeah, um, no. yeah. And and just to get to this point, to to almost be guaranteed of meaningful games in December for Giant fans, I think is a tremendous bonus for the season. And you, if you'd ask any Giant fan going into the opening game, if if the Giants were live in a wild card race. Would you sign off on it right now? And I think they would say, yeah, 
But now if you ask them that, they say, hell no, I want more than that. we got a yeah. shot to win the division. So I, No, that's a great point. And I think if, if, Dable, if the Giants sustain it, it could also be Dable because – um, at least based on opponent's record the rest of the way, the website Tankathon uh, accumulates this. Yeah. The Giants have the hardest strength of schedule remaining. I think it's right? okay. 633 winning percentage. Wow. So to do what you're saying, win the division or come close to it with that remaining schedule as well, where Dable already stands, probably ends up being him. But you alluded to in New York as well, the Jets after years of being down in the dumps and uh, also – frankly, at the beginning of this season, looking like they were going nowhere. They're suddenly, from my vantage point, a team that nobody wants to play. And, uh, you know, I would say from your vantage point, why do you think Salah's Jets have gone from, um, you know, either cakewalk or a mess like the Jets always seem to be stepping on their own toes to just punching people in the mouth and nobody wants to play them? Well, I don't know if I would go so far as saying nobody wants to play him. I, I know people in New York are really excited about the Jets, and, and rightfully so, considering what's happened here. Uh, they haven't made the playoffs since 2011, which is the longest stretch in the league. The reason they've got to this point, at least, is because they're picking second or third in the draft every year, and, <laughs> and they're just accumulating talent and not blowing those picks. The Giants um, were, too. <laughs> I know, but that's the that's the difference is the Giants were making, you know, huge mistakes in the draft, uh, picking in the top 10 or whatever. Um, I'm still not sold on the Jets from this standpoint. I, I, I'm just I'm just not buying into Zach Wilson yet. I. In watching him play to me, I don't mean to be really demeaning here, but. Until the last game where he controlled his running behind the line of scrimmage and just seemed to be running backwards like I used to do when we were playing in the schoolyard, you know, to avoid the pass rush, <laughs> he just looked like a little kid out there. I mean, he's not a big guy. I mean, if he's 6'2", it's a lot. I don't even know if he's that tall. Not sure, But he, he just looked overmatched and overwhelmed. And he's got a great arm. Just like Daniel Jones, he can run the ball. I mean, he's a really good athlete. He, again, he's not running as much as he used to. And if he ran more against New England, they might have won that game. Um, so I'm not buying in on Zach Wilson yet. I think he's got a lot of the skills that are necessary. But right now there's something missing from the package. I mean, for the fact that Elijah Moore has one target the last couple of games is, is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Um, so defensively, you know, they're, they're really uh, playing well. Their, their front seven is playing well. You know, Sauce has just been, you know, outstanding in the secondary. Um, and I think they have their biggest game in forever um, Sunday in New England. They've lost, Pat, they've lost 13 games in a row to the Patriots. I mean, that's hard to do. Um, so, Right. You, you think you, especially in a league that encourages parity, which is what we're seeing everywhere, you think – one of these games, you'd just be able to pull it out or it would go your way yeah. on a coin flip, right? But and Listen, I hate the term statement game because you can almost say that every week because every game in the NFL with only 17 of them you know, are really big games. Mm-hmm. But I think if the Jets can go – the Jets have played all their division games at home already. So they, get, they still have to play New England, Buffalo, and Miami. Um, they, and New England clearly is the weakest of those three teams. 
they need to get that monkey off their shoulder. They're a better team than New England. But if they go in there and, and you know, they got killed there last year, they gave away the game at home a few weeks ago, that roughing the passer penalty that negated that 85-yard or 86-yard pick six would have made it 17-3. to I mean, that was the game right there. And that penalty, that was the most impactful penalty I've seen in a long time, other than Dallas Goddard getting face mask and fumbled and they don't call the face mask. Um, Ridiculous. Right? Um, So I I think it's really important that the Jets go in there uh, on Sunday and and win this game and win it convincingly. And then I think I would I'd buy in a little more. But I do want to see like, – I'm, I'm confident that Daniel Jones with the right people around him could put up really good numbers. Zach Wilson has really good skill position players. He's got great receivers now. And, he, you know, good if point. he gets 150 yards, it's like uh, he's throwing a party. You know, so he looks like a point and shoot quarterback. You know, you, you said this basically, but it's like, it looks like he sees, he knows his first read, he hikes it, he looks there. If it's not there, he's way more comfortable out of structure moving around. But when you say he's, he's more comfortable out of structure, that was where some of those unthinkable head shaking interceptions happened against the Patriots when they played a few weeks ago as well. I agree. I don't have any confidence in him. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned the remaining schedule, all those on the road in division. And I actually wrote it down earlier. So it's New England, Chicago, which can score, even though they give up points. And then Minnesota, Buffalo, Detroit, Jacksonville, and then ending with Seattle, Miami. And I think this is why, even though they have this encouraging six and three start, you look at like, if you look at websites like 538 or just the odds makers, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Jets still aren't getting love for like obviously making the playoffs or obviously finishing strong, I think because of those two things, the schedule and Wilson. So I think uh, a lot of the betters and the odds makers share your doubt. Um, Taking up a lot of your time here, so I want to get you out on this. Who is your MVP to this point in the season? And if you're comfortable making a prediction, you don't have to, but if you're comfortable making a prediction, who is going to win the Super Bowl this year? MVP, Super Bowl. I think the MVP to this point is – it's kind of a chalk pick, but I would say Mahomes. Uh, yeah. But I'm starting to consider Tua. Uh, the negative right now with Tua, even though by far and away he's got the best passer rating in the league by like 12 points. Uh, he's missed two games and parts of two others. And um, I think that does count when you factor in – who's going to be the MVP. You know, Mahomes is there all the time. He's doing it with a Tyreek, without Tyreek Hill, which people questioned whether they could, not realizing he was going to have the new Tyreek Hill and your guy, Kadarius Tony. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's how I'd say right now. But, you know, when it comes time to vote uh, after the final game of the regular season, I, I could feel, you know, much differently, you know, depending on what happens. Yeah. Here's – Here's my Super Bowl pick. And yeah, let's go. All right. It might surprise you. Uh, the AFC, I'm not picking, I'm going to pick the NFC team I'm going to give you is going to be the winner. But I just want to tell you who, who's going to um, lose to this team. Yeah. I, you know, I would say, you know, Kansas City, Buffalo are, are still the two teams in the AFC uh, that I think are, are best equipped to make it through January to get to Phoenix. 
my Super Bowl winner, the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, I like it. I like that pick. Why? Well, I just think um, McCaffrey is such a difference maker. Now, when I watched the game the other night, there was a couple moments that I wondered why they traded for McCaffrey because Elijah Mitchell, who just came back, they're like the same player. And Shanahan has gotten tremendous use out of both of them. And maybe that's the way to do it with McCaffrey because he's been so injury prone. Yes. He doesn't have to play 100% of the snaps. If you play 60% and they get the production out of him, you know, that's pretty good. Their defense to me is, you know, game changing type defense. They get great pressure on the quarterback. You know, Bosa is unblockable. Uh, I think they can play around Jimmy G. He's not an elite quarterback. If you watch him play complete games, sometimes you just really wonder how they win with him, but then he makes some plays and you go, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. He's gotten to a Super Bowl. Another year he's gotten to an NFC championship game. He's not Mahomes. He's not Josh Allen, although Josh Allen's been bad lately. Uh, I think he's good enough. And in the NFC, I'm not sold on the Eagles. And I'm not sold on Kirk Cousins. So I think the 49ers – are going to be the team that gets on a roll here the second half of the season and just kind of streaks right through the playoffs. I really like the pick. And obviously everything's couched with whether guys are healthy, but I would say, as you mentioned, as long as Bosa and Fred Warner at the pass rusher and the middle linebacker on the Niners defense, stay healthy. I love that pick Um, and love having you on. Um, You know, thank you so much for joining us here and uh, everybody, please don't forget You'll have time, but next September, pick up Once a Giant, Gary's sixth book coming out on the 1986 New York Giants. Gary, thank you so much for joining us here. Yeah, Pat, I'll just tell your your listeners and your watchers that uh, I'm going to be doing plenty of signings around the metropolitan area with former Giants accompanying accompanying me. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so they'll be able to pre-order the book probably starting in the middle of August, um, and then... You know, I'll be visible around town with some, you know, the big names from the 86 Giants doing some appearances for me. So, again, it's called Once a Giant. And I really appreciate coming on with you. This has been fun. It's kind of just like one of our phone conversations. And now we're letting everybody else listen into it, you know. (laughs) That's right. So next (laughs) September, well, we'll have you on again before then. But next September, I'll have Once a Giant sitting over my right shoulder. And we'll we'll dig deep into that book then as well. So, yeah, awesome. Talk to you soon. Okay, take care, Pat. All right, welcome back to Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Let's get over to Pat's picks, brought to you by Bet Online. Posted a five and nine record in week 10. I don't feel like I was alone there. I think the league turned on its head a little bit. Uh, fell to 73, 75, and two on the season, but looking to bounce back in a big way here in week 11. Go to my Instagram account at PL on NFL on Friday for my picks against the spread for every game in week 11 for the New York Daily News. But here we're going to highlight our three favorite picks. And we're going to start with the Vikings plus one and a half. So underdogs hosting the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys coming off a game in which they choke away a big fourth quarter lead in Green Bay. They are still, I believe, one of the top teams in the league when you consider how difficult their defense typically is to face, but extremely discouraging to see how they weren't able to finish that game against the Packers offense that had really struggled. 
Conversely, you look at the Vikings, I simply don't understand why they would be an underdog at home coming off that win. I know Kirk Cousins doesn't inspire confidence with some of the interceptions he threw in that game. But given that it's a hostile environment in Minnesota, it's a loud stadium, the Cowboys already just laid an egg on the road on the road up north, and now you're going into Minnesota. I guess the Cowboys might feel at home because the Vikings' relatively new stadium and the Cowboys' stadium were built by the same builder, the same engineers. It does have a similar feel to it. I don't know. Maybe that's what the betters are thinking here, uh, or maybe they're just counting on Dak Prescott not turning the ball over like he did, but I just think you look at Minnesota, a team with only one loss this deep into the season, coming off a win on the road against Buffalo like that and showing that they can pull a game out late when the Cowboys showed the opposite. I'm taking Minnesota. I think that's a smart side. I got it with the Daily News picks plus one and a half um, at Bet Online. The line is one. I would still take the Vikings, obviously, as the underdog to win outright here. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, six and a half point favorites. At the Indianapolis Colts. Now, this is a big number. Right now in the NFL, any big number is something that you have to step back and look at, I think, because parity is at an all-time high, it seems, in the league, and any team can win any week. That is what the NFL wants, and that is what the system has geared it towards, and that's now, it appears, what we have by and large. That said, I think that there's this line looks like, to me, an overreaction to the Eagles' home loss to Washington and to the Colts beating a Raiders team that simply can't win games late. I mean, most of the Raiders games outside of the shutout to the Saints and in New Orleans have been close one-score games. They just aren't making plays. I know Jeff Saturday's Colts did show fight in that win against the Raiders, but this is a Philadelphia Eagles team that has rolled over most bad teams. Washington showed a smart, good game plan, including running the ball very well. And Jonathan Taylor and the Colts, you could you could make an argument for the fact that if they replicate that plan effectively against the Eagles, they could keep the ball out of Jalen Hurts and that offense's hands and make it difficult. Being on the road in a hostile environment for the Eagles obviously won't be easy, but Uh, I just see them getting back to their formula of having explosive first halves and second quarters and building a big lead and then uh, securing an easy victory. That is my best bet for the week. And then the Kansas City Chiefs, six and a half point favorites, minus six and a half um, against the Chargers. This is on the road in Los Angeles. Uh, Justin Herbert does look better. He looks healthier, but unless he has his receivers at his disposal for the full game. And when I say his receivers, I mean Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I just don't have full confidence in the Chargers sustaining uh, scoring and holding the Chiefs well enough on defense because I don't have faith in the Chargers defense, despite the fact that you know Khalil Mack's been making plays and they've been uh, showing some more fight lately. Uh, their defense is going to have to prove it to me that they can keep this one close. The Chiefs haven't been perfect by any means, but uh, they have the best player in the league on their team, and they have shown they can score, and Steve Spagnuolo uh, always is going to create a game plan that's going to keep them um, smart and one step ahead normally, not to mention the pressure that he typically brings. And I just I look at guys like Josh Palmer and the people that Justin Herbert is throwing to as his primary options right now, and it just doesn't instill confidence in me. Even though I think Herbert and the Chargers will make plays, Austin Eckler is a great player. 
I don't think for four full quarters they will keep up with what the Chiefs will be able to do to the Chargers' defense. And then a, a couple fantasy tips I wanted to give out. This is something that uh, that I started actually in the fantasy football uh, circuit and community before I ever started covering the NFL full time. And um, we have a lot to jam into these shows, but I want to start giving out some of my favorite picks and make sure I do that every week as well. And my focus this week is on a couple tight ends. I think one of my picks of the week right now is George Kittle against the Arizona Cardinals. Now, obviously, this is not a sleeper name by any means, a big-time player, obviously. He is, though, coming off a game where he had only one catch for 21 yards against the Chargers. The Arizona Cardinals, I looked this up per pro football reference, they are the second worst defense in the league, allowing fantasy points two tight ends. And if you look at their game last week, I mean, they gave up eight catches for 73 yards to Tyler Higby with the Rams, who's a good player, but John Wolford was throwing to him, the backup quarterback there. And so just imagine Kittle coming off of a bad receiving game, what he will be capable of against a Cardinals team that is not very good and is not very good against tight ends. So I love the Kittle play. If you're doing DFS, anything like that, love that. And then uh, I would go, even go anytime touchdown if you you know if you're betting with Bet Online um, on on the uh, on the in game bets I would love that one as well uh, maybe an over what is over under catches I would I would take that as well I think he'll end up with you know six seven eight eight catches I would go seven eight catches here at least and then Kyle Pitts um, this is a player who's been one of the if not the most disappointing uh, fantasy players in the league this season based on what his draft position was and what his production has been. Um, I think, you know, you look at his stats and it's obviously extremely disappointing. Uh, two games with no, only two games with more than 28 receiving yards this season, only two total touchdowns in his nine games played, and he hasn't had more than five catches in a game. Uh, but I think against the Bears defense, which has not been horrific against tight ends specifically, but after trading away Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, the Bears are giving up lots of points. They're scoring a lot of points, but they're giving up a lot of points. And the Falcons can move the ball. Uh, they, they do short circuit at times when they get too pass heavy, so they always have to stick to the ground game as their main focus. But I, I hear Arthur Smith. I hear him talking. I know he hears the noise, and it's easy for them to say, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts will get his. We, we don't have to force it to him, but – I think based on the fact that he was such a high first round pick and to take their offense to another level and to try and keep up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are starting to turn it on a little bit here, I think they know they have to get Pitts involved. And I think this is the week they start doing it. I think they force feed him a little bit in a game where there are yards and points to be had. And I think Kyle Pitts ends up having his best game of the 2022 season. I think you could buy extremely low there on Pitts. And I love that as an option for week 11. That'll do it for us here at Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe on wherever you're listening to us or watching us, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Overcast, wherever you are. We thank you so much for your support. And we will see you next week for a special Thanksgiving holiday episode of Talking Ball.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.